Hello, and welcome to the Fourth Estate Podcast. My name is Candice Carty-Williams, and I'll be your host. This week, we have Britain's leading investigative food journalist, Joanna Blythman, in the studio answering your questions. In part one of the podcast, Joanna tells us the best dairy substitutes in cooking, lets us know if we should avoid supermarkets altogether, and talks through supermarket versus butcher's meat. Joanna tells us what the best breakfast is for sustaining yourself throughout the day, and dispels many a myth about processed foods. Enjoy. Marion from Twitter has asked, Joanna Blythman, help. Can't eat dairy. How do I avoid margarine when baking? Recipes include milk. Right, okay. So this is someone who can't eat dairy, but wants to eat cakes. Um... And wants to avoid margarine, which I understand because of uh, margarine being about the most synthetic processed food in the world. I mean, it's a crazy emulsion of oil and water, which is is brought together with with additives. So Mm. I can understand her wanting to avoid it. Well, I suppose it's going to be um, looking at things like olive oil, if, um, if there is an oil element. And I mean, nowadays there are just so many amazing cakes that are kind of raw, using mm-hmm. nuts and using different uh, things like dates and so on. So I think something in that area, and we're just coming down with, with you know, books and suggestions for those sort of things. Mm-hmm. But I totally understand the thing about avoiding margarine and, and um, you know, obviously everyone, I, I would recommend that everyone, if they're going to use a, a fat uh, for baking, use butter unless they are trying to avoid uh, dairy. So how about things like dairy-free butter? Is that a no-no for baking? Dairy-free butter is a joke. I mean, that that is just a <laughs> contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 we were sold margarine on the basis that it was healthier for us. Mm. And what's now emerging is that basically margarine is is pretty lethal it's 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 pretty deadly for your health um whereas butter is quite good for you because saturated fat the whole thing about saturated fat being uh the the wickedest nutrient uh uh, that you can possibly imagine that that whole science in inverted commas is just uh, melting away now and um i think it's it's basically let yourself be guided by the principle that uh Mother Nature isn't a psychopath. Uh, why would she create natural foods that were deadly for the, the human race? It just doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, a fat like olive oil or butter is really quite a straightforward natural thing. When we get into spreads and margarines, then we're, they're concoctions. Um, and that's putting it politely, where the food industry and um, food engineers are using all their very clever skills to fool you into thinking that something looks like butter or so on so any kind of bogus product uh, and there are a lot of margarines on the market now that increasingly sound quite desperate because Mm. every no one really wants to buy marge um, and they're suspicious of spread so if they can get that word butter into the title then they will, or they will try and link it to olive oil, which mm. has uh, 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 an attractive profile, quite correctly, in in consumers' minds. But um, I mean, I just you, you know, you don't need that. There are better options. And another another oil I forgot to mention that's that's very good for baking is coconut oil. Oh. Raw coconut oil is is just a really good idea. 
It tastes delicious, um, but you have to make sure that you get the extra virgin raw one, that you don't get the processed uh, coconut oil because it all the, the kind of good um, uh, uh, sort of micronutrients out there, particularly the, 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 the fats, mm. will have been destroyed by the heat treatment. So, yeah, coconut oil is brilliant, but make sure you get um, raw extra virgin. And where might one find this coconut oil? Well, there's an explosion of coconut, and coconut oil is so trendy, and mm. hashtag coconut <laughs> oil everywhere, you know. Um, obviously, whole food shops have the very best selection. Um, I mean, you will now get coconut oil in supermarkets, uh, but I think uh, that if, I mean, if I go into my nearest good whole food shop, I'll have a choice of seven or eight different brands and um yeah i mean it's just a delicious useful fat and it's the great thing about it is you don't actually have to refrigerate it and mm. it lasts for a long time and uh, i think we talked first about baking but obviously just in in general cooking coconut oil is wonderful uh because one of the the kind of key good things about it is that um it has a much higher smoking point than any other right. oil. So you can't really burn it. So if you do need to do something really, really hot, um, then coconut oil is a very good option. And it's a very stable oil. By that, I mean that it doesn't oxidize mm -hmm. at room temperature, as a lot of vegetable oils uh, will do, unless they've been treated with preservatives, um, which is what happens in margarines and so on. So, you know, it's a handy coconut oil is a nice thing to have in your kitchen and a very sort of reliable, uh, untemperamental ingredient to to um, to have at your disposal. That's fantastic. Also good for hair and for skin. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, they, they, when you start looking at all the things that coconut oil can do, anti-fungal, anti-this, anti... I mean, there's a whole whole mm -hmm. list of its properties. But yes, from dry skin to hair conditions, I, I, I've heard... That, I haven't tried it, but I've heard that people who have dandruff or issues like that find that coconut oil works really well. So it is, is quite a miraculous sort of um, fat and one that I think is quite interesting because it's relatively new to most of us and we're just getting to grips with it and understanding, you know, what it can do. Mother Nature does it again. Yeah, well, Mother Nature does. And the, <laughs> the kind of key thing about um, the the nature of the oils in coconut oil is, is that they're these uh, uh, medium chain fatty acids, which are just terribly good uh, uh, mm. things to have in your diet. So it's a particularly good type of fat. Great. Okay, so Matt asks, should we avoid supermarkets altogether? And he also says, where do you shop, Joanna? Yeah, well, you know, you, I've written a book called Shopped, The Shocking Power of British Supermarkets. Mm. And, and I am of the school, yes, avoid supermarkets. Um, uh, if I'm absolutely truthful, um, I will uh, visit a supermarket maybe about once every three weeks. And there's just some things that I find that I really find it's a struggle to find other places. And they're just random things um, like, for example, butter. I, there's a better selection of butter than I will be able to get in other shops. Mm. But after that, once I've done that sort of once in a while supermarket trip, then uh, I'm lucky because I live in a big city. And so there are still independent shops So uh, and markets. So mm. now I do a combination of farmer's market, uh, my local Asian green grocers, mm -hmm. um, a very big uh, you know, source of good things for me. Uh, the fish shop, I have a traditional, like two very good fish shops and a, and, and a traditional butcher. 
Um, I'm very skeptical about buying meat in supermarkets. It, mm. it has never been, to my mind, um, well butchered, and it's never been hung or matured the way it needs to be to eat well. And I really just like the fact that I go into my independent butcher and I've, you know, he's employing about twelve people and they're mm. all extremely expert and highly skilled. Whereas on the supermarket meat co uh, counter, in inverted commas, there are people there who are basically cutting open bags of pre-butchered cuts that come yeah. straight from the abattoir. Um, and they, they, they really, they have no skills and they haven't been trained uh, to have them. So I find that um, it's just a, I used to live in France and um, okay. before I went to France, I was like most British people, I just shopped in the supermarket mainly. And then in France, I got used to shopping in markets and independent shops. And when I came back uh, to live in Britain again, I thought, OK, back to the supermarket. And then there's just dreadful sort of clouds of depression mm. uh, and inertia sort of came over me. I just thought this is a really depressing experience. Why did I ever do this? And it was almost as if that gap had made me see it for what it is. And one of the things I find about supermarkets is that and I think many people probably can understand this. If I go there, I end up buying exactly the same things every week. Mm -hmm. um, I spend a lot of money, but I don't really have a very clear idea of what I'm going to cook with anything. Yes. It doesn't actually give me ideas for cooking. I've got no feeling about, you know, well, you know, what time of year it is. Oh, this is the time for Yorkshire rhubarb or mm. kale's particularly good. Or this is the time for celery from Norfolk. I don't get any of that feeling in the supermarket because it's the same stuff all year round. So when, when you get used to going to markets and um, independent shops and or having a more direct link with the producers, it's mm. just really, really liberating because mm. instead of shopping, food shopping being this big, ghastly, repetitive chore that you do every week and you don't much enjoy, um, you start just sort of sparking off like you would like having a good night with friends. You just start mm. getting ideas. And it's really exciting for me to see now that uh, when I wrote my um, book Shopped, uh, Critique of the Supermarkets, it's 10 years ago now, uh, people used to look at me as if I was crazy and say, oh, my goodness, I love your ideas, but, you know, this is never going to happen. And in a, in a sense, they were right and wrong because it didn't happen then, but it's beginning to happen now. The, the big supermarkets are in real trouble and mm. um, people are very suspicious of them and increasingly want to shop elsewhere. And beyond the sort of markets and in, indie shops, there are a lot of different new kind of forms of um, uh, kind of commerce bring up around food so there's things like food assemblies mm. food co-ops uh, obviously the the box schemes um, people getting together in their area and saying okay there are enough of us here who want this you know let's go direct to the producer and I think this is really exciting um, and I feel that it just sort of puts soul and pleasure back into f uh, food shopping whereas before it just become this very automated unthinking very passive thing where you just go in and you buy what's marketed to you you mm. not stop being a citizen making active decisions you just become this passive consumer i think that happens to all of us so when we shop in the supermarket so to to a long way to answer matt's question <laughs> um yeah avoid the supermarket and your life will only get better so i think that people believe that if they avoid a supermarket and go to farmers markets, etc., it will be more expensive. Um, is this a myth, or can you do this very cheaply without stepping into your local supermarket? 
Well, I think it's really interesting because supermarkets really, their rise or ascendancy was predicated on this belief, which subsequently has been proven to be false, Mm. that they were the cheapest place to shop. But we all believed this, didn't we? We just Mm. thought, well, it must be cheap. And for some things, supermarkets are cheap. For very, very processed food, they can be cheap. So if you want bumper packs of crisps or something, then, you know, yeah, they they probably are cheaper than your independent shops. But when it comes to fresh food, and by that I mean fruit and vegetables, fish, meat, they've always been shockingly expensive. Mm. And what's happened in this country is that uh, the German discount chains have come along, uh, Aldi and Lidl, and they have a different, completely different business model. And what they've done, instead of, you know, having all these complicated special offers that in fact end up, getting to spend more than you ever intended to their price is the price and it's much lower Mm. than the major chains so they have really um they have really i think people who've been shopping with our big traditional chains and then suddenly swapped to aldi and little have just thought my goodness i've been ripped off for years uh because they see what a real uh price ought to be from a big retailer Mm. but um the, the original question was the comparison with farmers markets and of course farmers markets have got got a reputation for being expensive yes um but i i think it's a kind of case by case basis for example in my local farmers market i can buy organic vegetables and i'm talking about organic vegetables not just conventional vegetables which are considerably cheaper than the equivalent vegetables conventional vegetables Mm. in the supermarket and that's every week that happens so if you're in the habit and particularly if you live in a big city and you're short of time you're in the habit of going into your uh, you know the the local the smaller format stores of the big chains you will be paying through the nose for every kiwi fruit and every little bit of um pre uh pre-seeded pomegranate that you buy and so on and and they're real economies to be had again i mean i have actually priced farmers markets eggs and these are being organic eggs against free range eggs in the the supermarket and and they've come in uh, cheaper on occasions so i think it's a bit of a case by case basis and also it depends on what you you want to buy you know if you want to eat chicken breast and fillet steak every day of the week then yes it's true that if you buy that Mm. in a farmer's market and it's from someone who's rearing those animals in a high welfare way and maybe feeding them a good diet might even be organic then it will cost more but if you're just thinking well I can eat you know pork cheek or I don't need to have a a, a free-range chicken every day I can have it once a month and really enjoy it I think it's about changing your priorities Mm. and getting away from the, the regular sort of hit of cheap uh, animal protein and and re kind of configuring what you have in your diet. And that's probably quite a healthy thing to do as well, because I think um, lots of people have got into the habit of just buying, buying and eating a lot of cheap, easy, kind of anonymous meat products because it's easy. We've all, that's the way we've been brought up. And it mm. takes a bit of unconditioning or or the opposite of brainwashing to kind of get us to break out of that but we can do and then I think there are very good things to be had in the farmer's market so what I would do is I just say be open-minded don't go in with a prejudice oh um, it's always going to be more expensive just do you know do your own little comparison Mm. I think yeah uh, some people might be quite surprised at what they find on the subject of meat Becky says I have an independent butcher's on my high street that sells locally sourced free-range meat. 
is this preferable to organic meat from the supermarket? Likewise, is fruit and veg from my local greengrocers better than the supermarket, even though it's not always organic? Well, there's a, a various values here, aren't there? There's, there's kind of um, a community value, I would say, which is about what kind of world you want to live in. Mm. So do you want to live in a world where basically there's nowhere to buy anything except in big supermarkets all run by uh, distant um, uh, shareholders and investors uh, who, who are not really uh, investing in your community? Or do you want to keep uh, a sort of life, a street life in your community, mm. uh, which it makes it a congenial place to be? So uh, I think that on the whole, I tend to always support independent shops and little local shops apart from anything else they're very handy I don't really want to have to get into a car and drive miles and park my car and walk around a massive retail shed just because I want a pint of milk mm. or something but also I just want to have local shops around it just makes the, the general environment nicer and the thing is that food shops are I think of it a little bit like teeth in your mouth you know they're all supporting each other and when you take one out uh, then all the others start getting a bit shaky. And it's the same with independent shops. Um, you know, a post office with a greengrocer or a butcher, you start getting then a nucleus and it then becomes a, a nice place for older people who don't need very much. They can just step out the house. Mm. It becomes nice for young people. It means that the streets feel safer when you're walking around because there's more real life there rather than mm. people driving past in cars. So I, I do... Um, I do tend to favour independent shops, but not obviously indiscriminately. No, if um, if the butcher looks lousy, don't use the butcher. Um, but I think that, that as a general rule, if you can support the independent, um, there was a in there is a question about is organic. What what really matters most? Is it organic? Is it yes. local? And I think this is something we all get a bit tied in knots about because it's it's which is there is there a hierarchy of of choices and I think the answer to that is no I mean I I fully support organic food and I try and eat as much of it and buy as much of it as I can mm. so for for my my house uh, I would always have organic milk or organic eggs organic flour uh, organic yogurt there's a, whole, a long list of things that would would be organic um, but I don't do that slavishly so if I go to the market and there's someone selling uh, like really nice apples that they say they've grown themselves and they say we're not organic but we don't use too many we don't use much in the way of pesticides they're really natural I'm quite inclined to think well I'll have that over the supermarket ones that have been freighted in from uh, the other side of the world mm. so I think it's always balancing a lot a lot of issues but on the whole I, I think that organic is a very good set of values and ideals and where possible um, it's good to just um, of, of things that you probably buy quite regularly and they aren't particularly expensive purchases things like eggs milk then I think it's good to sort of score them off as organic and then, then you can compromise on other things. George asks, she has two questions. The first is, what's the ideal balanced breakfast? The ideal balanced breakfast. Now, if I could answer this succinctly, I would be a very clever person and I'd probably be wrong because, you know, I think there's, it's quite complicated. I mean, at the moment, we're in the middle of a, a really major debate, aren't we, about nutrition. 
and we were we were sort of told this thing that uh, uh, we should be having a, a car be based type breakfast um, and that was government advice that we the, the words were um, base your meals on starchy food so obviously mm. um, generations ago people were were going off to school or work on a bowl of you know breakfast cereal and skimmed milk and we, we really did think that was healthy with a bit of fruit thrown mm. in I think that's really changing now and there's this big standoff by uh, between what you would call the 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 high carb low fat lobby or constituency way of philosophy mm-hmm. and the high fat higher protein low carb uh, more of a paleo sort mm-hmm. of diet um, I think because I've been in this business for quite a few years now I uh, think that we're always learning about nutrition so anyone who tells you they've got the right answer is almost certainly wrong but I think um, increasingly I find I look back on the breakfast I ate as a, as a child and, and I used to have I used to be a fanatic for sugar puffs. I thought they were great. Um, I think it was a poor breakfast in nutritional terms. Mm. So nowadays I'm much more likely to include an egg in my breakfast. And I think eggs are about as healthy a food as you can possibly get. And they're cheap. Mm. and they're not problematic to buy and so on. So I would always have an organic egg in some form. I, I do think the, there's stro- strong arguments why uh, some protein uh, and fat in the morning, uh, good uh, saturated fat, healthy unprocessed fat, will satisfy the appetite. And obviously in this country we're involved in a big debate about obesity and What's emerging now in those discussions is uh, before it was all about counting calories and being more athletic and that was going to sort it. But I think we're moving away from that now and and much more looking at the idea of satiety. That is, how well do certain macronutrients Mm. uh, satisfy appetite and certainly protein and fat do satisfy appetite. It's a bit, if you think of it like you're burning a fire and if you put if you burn paper that's like carbohydrate Mm. if you burn wood that's uh more like um a bit of protein and then if you put coal on the top then you're really getting to fat that's the levels of satiety Mm. and the difference uh the way the way our bodies will burn up those calories so i think i mean i vary my breakfast because i'm easily bored but it will tend to have it will tend to involve eggs it will sometimes involve um meat i'm i'm quite a fan of black good black pudding mm-hmm. um it will certainly have oats and porridge in some form either the traditional scottish way that my mother would recommend with lots of salt mm-hmm. or it could be sweet you know with raspberries and coconut and you know just take it any way you like mm-hmm. um so i think the thing is to vary it and that's another important thing about diet uh just vary vary the food you eat as much because that's just so good for 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 you uh, but fi- the, the final thing I would say is that I am of the school of thought that it is a really good idea to have a breakfast. Um, and I think there's so much research already been done and there's more to be done. But my feeling is that if you sort of tell your body early on in the morning that it's needn't worry about being hungry, it's quite satisfied, you've given it something to go on. I think that is a good way to start the day. And I'm, 
I, I, I regularly meet people who say to me, oh, Joanna, I just couldn't possibly eat breakfast when I got up in the morning. And I have to say they haven't they haven't really convinced me yet. I, I, I think uh, that if you can get into the habit of some kind of really quite sustaining breakfast, mm. then you won't be hungry all day. You won't always be, you know, a bit unsatisfied and looking for snacks and just generally uh, craving food. I think it just gets you off on a good track. Good start to the day. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Joanna Blythman's latest book, Swallow This, Serving Up the Food Industry's Darkest Secrets, is out now, published by Fourth Estate.